0: As you can see, when you came in this morning, almost probably, there was a couple of ladies out the front there doing the notice boards uh, of the school. And I don't know if you ever sort of, as you come in the school, whether you notice what's been put on the, the boards, on the walls. And um, there's one here. It says, communication. How can we communicate God's love? And it says, prayer is the means by which... Uh, men, commun- that's angry men communicate with God. Revelation is the means by which God communicates with men. And then you get a list of things there. Okay. Notices are really important, but oftentimes I wonder how much we take note of the notices that God posts on our board. Okay? And when I've been looking at this whole thing about uh, fasting and praying, I have to say that I have been greatly challenged by my lack of fasting. And uh, we've lived in the last 10 or so years, and there's been a huge emphasis on grace. God brings, by his Holy Spirit, brings emphasis every so often in the church. And this last one has been about grace. And so what I'm going to talk about this morning... Can appear to be the totally opposite to that. But I want you to bear with me and I want you to try and help. I want to try and help you understand the challenge that I have received as I've been preparing this message. So, aspects of our Christian life, so many facets of our Christian life. And uh, this morning I'll be making some reference to a book. It was written a number of years ago by a guy called Arthur Wallace called God's Chosen Fast. And I will be referring to this book as I am going through. So for many people, probably including people sitting here this morning, <laughs> I don't know, um, fasting can be seen as something a bit extreme and, uh, and perhaps confined to the past Um, and it doesn't really have a a place in our lives today you know we're living in grace we don't need to work at anything and um, and in the contemporary church fasting for the most part has been neglected and sometimes rejected as being a part of the Christian walk with God however however Godly men and women uh, have seen the importance of fasting uh, to strengthen their spiritual walk uh, with God and to see answers of prayer, communication. With man to God, God to man. I mean women as well in that, you know, you understand that, don't you? Also at times of renewal and revival, fasting has appeared to be a discipline which has emerged in the life of the believers. So, Jesus outlined how we should fast. In Matthew 6, it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, in this, these verses, it talks about giving, it talks about praying, and it talks about fasting. So fasting is an expectation that Jesus taught us. It says, "When you pray, not if; when you pray and when you fast, it's not an expectation. It's expectation rather of the Lord." But I think it's something that is personal. And I think it's something that we do between ourselves and God. I think it's a good idea, actually, if you tell the person in the house who prepares the meals to <laughs> say whether you're going to uh, going to fast or not, because no one wants to have a, a dinner put in front of them and then oh, I'm sorry, I'm fasting. Um, so there is some obviously communication that needs to be relayed one to another, but. Essentially, fasting is something between you and God. And so, you know, when you go out and fast, Jesus said, you don't go and, you know, make yourself look as though you're white and pale and everything else. Oh, we're fasting. No, it's between, have a joyful, you know, put your makeup on. Have a joyful time and be joyful, men. Put your makeup on. Okay. No, it's, thank you for crying. Um It's something that is between you and God. And I think it's really, really important that if we're going to do this, that we do it not to impress people, not to try and see, you know, people see how wonderful we are, but it's something that is, some, we, we've just made a pledge between us and ourselves and God, and it's, it's him, okay? And we're going to talk about some of the fasts a bit later on. So fasting then, I believe in expectation, expectation. Uh, and you see throughout the New Testament, fasting is an important part of the life of the church. So first of all, why should we fast? What's the whole point? Why should we do this? So like I said, these, some of these points are found in this book that I have already mentioned by Arthur Wallace. First of all, fasting is for personal sanctity or holiness. For holiness. Humility is the basic ingredient of true holiness and it's also the growing mechanism in which grace flourishes if you've got a garden okay if you can put a bit of manure in the ground it really helps the plant grow it gets all the nutrients and in our life uh, i believe that humility is the basic ingredient but it's it's it grows and flourishes in the place of prayer and in the place of fasting and in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a natural sequence Okay, to move on from self-humbling to the morning of repentance and contrition. You know, so much in our life, it never gets dealt with because we don't repent. We just go on in our blasey way, and, uh, and we think that's fine. But actually, repentance is an important part of our life. Not just when we come to salvation, because the actually the whole point of salvation means that we are saved and we are continue to be saved. There's, an, there's a thing that continues. We are being saved every day of our life. And therefore, if there are things that need repentance, then we have to, as it were, get on our knees and say sorry. God does not pass over sin. So therefore, it's repentance is an important part of our life. It doesn't mean to say that we have to grovel and we have to feel terrible for ourselves for the next 10 months, okay? It means that we say sorry and then we move on. And God is like that. It doesn't hold things against us. As soon as it's dealt with, It's forgotten. God forgets it. What sin he said okay it's dealt with. So it's important repentance is really really part of our life. And so first of all thought then why should we fast? It's about humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. Psalm 69 talks about David and David's plea to God to have mercy and to save him and from them, from their enemies who were out to destroy them. In verse 10 of that psalm, it says, When I weep and fast, I must must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. David felt completely overwhelmed, and his prayer even has a suggestion of God wounding him. David felt completely overwhelmed. And I'm sure there are times when we feel completely overwhelmed. And sometimes we just need to humble ourselves. Not just sometimes, we need to humble ourselves. Because this this life that we live is not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's not about our emotions. All these things play a part, of course they do. But the the point is, this is all about him, Jesus, not about us. We have to humble ourselves. And fasting is a measure, maybe, of how we are prepared to humble ourselves and to get involved in things that are not particularly what the body wants to do, or our mind, for that matter. And so... Secondly, it's about making ourselves available uh, for God's service. How do we make important decisions? You know what? We often make decisions on the run, all the time. And we even do that with decisions that have incredible effect upon our life. Things that are going to really make a difference in our life. We make decisions on the run. We don't always consider bringing them to the Lord. We don't always ask God about these things. So how do we make important decisions for our families? You, you young children. I was yesterday at a a bit of a birthday party. And uh, to see some of the little ones running around and, uh, you know, sort of uh, playing and laughing and dancing and singing... Uh, It was just wonderful, okay, to see a little child in the freedom and nothing, you know, sort of bringing any pressures or difficulties, just being who they are, okay? That should be a picture of you and me. We should be like that. (laughs) Um, Barnabas and Saul, important decisions, it says in Acts 13, verses 2 to 3, Acts thirteen two to 3, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It was important in these big decisions in life to consult God to make sure that whatever they were doing, they were bringing it to the Lord and seeing for his seal and his approval. The appointments of elders in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. know, if there are feelings and failure and defeat, And if we or you are feeling in your soul a call to go deeper with the Lord, and if the Lord is asking you to step out in some sort of ministry, some sort of work uh, for him, and you feel you're not qualified to do them, then I ask you, commit yourself in this period of time and fast and pray. If it was good enough for Paul and Barnabas... I'm sure that we could say it's good enough for us as well, okay? And um, so it's important then. It's about making ourselves available for his service and it's about um, uh, humbling ourselves as well. Okay, secondly, fasting uh, is to be heard on high. Fasting to be heard on high. In the book of Isaiah chapter 58, it shows that fasting is connected with seeking God and drawing near to God and prevailing with God. Fasting is designed uh, to make prayer mount up as wings like eagles. Okay, so fasting is the ingredient that allows the prayers and the requests that we have to soar, to rise up, Uh, into heaven to be heard by God. Fasting is something, as we know, is not always easy. But this type of prayer and type of fasting drives back the opposing powers of darkness and makes them release their grip on the things we are asking God for. This is serious stuff, right? Yes, it is. So as we come to God, and we've been already reminded about how we give and how we pray and how we fast, our motives do really matter as to why we do this. So the first thing is fasting to be heard on high. We need to get rid of any falsehood, any false humility, any other things that are around us. Okay, We need to get rid of these things. Okay, and uh, in this, uh, Isaiah talks about this, and he talks about the kind of fast that the people of Israel did. And uh, he said, you've done it, you've been through it, but actually what you're doing is absolutely total rubbish. That's what God said, that's my paraphrase, all right? He says, your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. (laughs) Of a Barney, right? <laughs> you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this a kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? What our attitude to this is really, really important. When things are slow in coming, we often think that we are waiting for heaven. But actually, maybe it's heaven waiting for us. Why hasn't God this? We're waiting, I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for God to answer. But actually, maybe God is waiting for us to humble ourselves and to bow our knee And then he'll hear from heaven. We will hear from heaven. True fasting in Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 12. God's promises to his people. I'm not going to read that, but you can read that uh, sometime if you want to when you get home. Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 12. If you do away with all the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will re, and will raise up the old age foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. My prayer is that we as a people of God will be a repairer of broken walls, that we will be restorer of the streets uh, and with their dwellings, that we will be a community of people that will make such a difference in our land that we will see transformations happening because we are prepared to humble ourselves this is true fasting in giving us the privilege of fasting as well as praying god has will add an important powerful weapon to our spiritual armory i know it's challenging but can we afford to ignore such an opportunity in joining with our father to see heaven come on earth. Fasting and prayer also brings the idea as giving a power to a demand. Um, This thing about giving a power to a demand. There was an ancient Irish custom. I don't know if I've heard this story before. Maybe I haven't. Anyway, there's this Irish custom of fasting against a person. You could fast against a person, which um, means uh, that um, you could sit at, without food and drink without and no drink at the door of a debtor. So someone owes you just some money. You go and plant yourself outside their door. You're not going to fast and you're not going to drink. Through any person who refused to satisfy a lawful demand. Now maybe. <laughs> sat outside someone's house, maybe uh, they would get tired. Actually, it reminds me of a little story that Jesus told. Actually, uh, but, but uh, maybe they would get so embarrassed that, that they would just give you the money and then you get on with life. So, there's like a fast of it adds strength to your demand, okay, for justice and for righteousness. And I think we need to see responses to a lot of things in our church, in our lives. And I think that's important. John Wesley, he um, wrote a diary. And on Tuesday, June 7th, uh, in 1763, he was in Scotland. And he said, There's something remarkable in the way how God has revived his work in these parts. A few months ago, The broad view of people in this circuit, that's like a parish, I suppose, or uh, an area. Okay, a a broad view of people in this circuit was extremely lifeless. Samuel Meggett perceived this, advised the society at Barnard Castle, that's Barnard Castle uh, is a market town in Teesside, uh, to observe every Friday with fasting and prayer. The very first Friday... They met together, and this is my prayer for us. God broke in upon them in wonderful manner, and his work has been increasing amongst them ever since. The neighbouring societies heard of this. They agreed to follow the same rule and soon experienced the same blessing. It makes, it happens, we have results if we are prepared to do this. God listens and he responds to those who are serious. Andrew Murray said, fasting helps to express, to deepen and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything. To sacrifice ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Second point, fasting to change God's mind. Ooh, Dodgy ground now. God proclaimed a judgment on Nineveh. The king of Nineveh called the people to 40 days of prayer and fasting, and as a result, the judgment was averted or deferred. God, yet, said the king of Nineveh, may change his mind and turn from his fierce anger. And their repentance. Expressed in this prayer and in the fasting that they were doing, it moved God to change the judgment he had pronounced against them. Now, this action or this thought, okay, may present us or does present us with a theological poser. Question is: we know that God knows the beginning from the end, so why did he change his mind? <laughs> And the answer is, God will always visit sin with judgment, but with repentance comes mercy, allowing him to act consistently with his character and his principles. You, me, were dead in our sins. It was curtains for us. But as soon as repentance came on the scene, God said, yippee! And he changed his judgment into forgiveness. And we became the sons and daughters of the living God. Strictly speaking, I suppose, it's not God that really changes, but it's us. With repentance comes mercy. Our change of heart makes it morally possible for God to behave differently toward us. And we are seeing a rising tide of godlessness and lawlessness in our land and indeed all our world, but we continue to believe uh, the words spoken uh, by Joel, which said in Joel chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, the Lord said, it isn't too late, you can still return to me with all your heart. Start crying and mourning, go without eating, don't rip your clothes to show your sorrow, instead turn back to me with broken hearts. I am merciful, kind and caring. I don't easily lose my temper and I don't like to punish. I am the Lord your God. Perhaps I would change my mind and treat you with mercy. Then you will be blessed with enough grain and wine for offering sacrifices to me. If God can find those people who will stand in the gap, who will humble themselves with prayer and with fasting, who knows? if we will lengthen the peace in our land. And who knows if God will bring revival and turn many to Christ. Is that our heart? Is that our cry this morning? If we are prepared to humble ourselves. Number four, fasting to, uh, to free the captives. Forgiveness is only one part of, the, of Christ's message In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Lord's Spirit has come up to me because he has chosen me to tell the good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to announce freedom for prisoners and to give sight to the blind to free everyone who suffers. In the church, we have to acknowledge that there are those who are bound with invisible chains. And again, I say that perhaps many or some in this place this morning are bound with invisible change that stop them from responding to fears, from addictions, from resentment, to uncleanness, to jealousy that dominate their life. The gospel encompasses three things. It's not just about getting saved. It's not just about forgiveness. But salvation means healing, healing, and it means deliverance as well. Salvation, healing, and deliverance. And what we're saying here, are we saying, rather, that salvation is not enough? What are we saying? What we are saying, rather, is that the gospel is not just about being saved or getting saved. Acts 10.38 says, God gave the Holy Spirit and power to Jesus from Nazareth. He was with Jesus as he went around doing good and healing everyone who was under the power of the devil. There's an example, just one example, and there's many, but I'll just tell you one. In Acts 9, Acts 8 rather, 9 to 24, talks about Simon of Samaria, if you remember the story. And he came in, he accepted the message of salvation, he got baptised, and he became a follower of... Somebody? I've lost it. It'll come in a minute. Okay, but he became a follower of one of the disciples. And uh, Simon saw that when the disciples laid their hands on people, they were, had the gift of the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages, etc. And Simon wanted this, and he came to the disciples with money. I want this gift. And he suddenly got this quick sort of uh, uh, speaking from um, Peter who told him that he was speaking terrible words and um, he needed to be delivered. And Simon had this idea of being great. He had this thing of being great. He he also dabbled in spiritualism and, uh, and witchcraft before he accepted the word... Uh, of Jesus, and, and Jesus is his Lord and Saviour. and But Peter, in his response, never questioned his salvation. He never questioned his baptism, only the fact that he wanted this gift and was prepared to pay money for it. You know, and um, outside the church, in our communities, the world is hopefully lost. It's bound by... Tobacco, alcohol, drugs, gambling. I, you know, I, I'm just wondering what kind of world I live in. I honestly think that, that there, there are some people who are just have no brains whatsoever. I'm having a little rant now. Okay? And you know, years of, Numbers of years ago, they started the thing about uh, betting and gambling. And now the TV's full of it. You know? And there are young people who have been caught up in this stuff. Okay? And then they say, oh, we've got to do something about it. Well, I should have done something about it a long time ago. Anyway, and it's the same about a lot of things in the world, but we don't live in a world, okay? It's all to do with money and power and everything else, as we know, all right? But this is the point I'm trying to make. We live in this kind of world where people are sort of being, you know, bound by all this stuff, okay? So some people in the church, people outside of the church, they don't just need salvation, they need delivering as well. And I believe the power of the the gospel has the power to change people's lives completely. So the gospel means these three things, salvation, healing, and deliverance. I was out for coffee with somebody this week, and while I was talking to them, I was very rude because my, um, my attention was taken from them and taken to something that was happening outside of a window. And I know that uh, Reese would be, he, he liked this story, and uh, what was happening was there was this man repairing some woodwork, okay, to a doorpost outside. And, um, and as I began to watch him, because, you know, I used to do stuff like this myself in the past, um, I saw him uh, get his blower lamp out and take off the paint and then he succeeded to remove bits of wood and replace certain bits of wood that, that had been missing but he also started to just take out some of the rotten part of the post at the bottom where it met the seal. Be technical now. okay? And uh, he took out the, um, the, some of the, the rot. And then he proceeded to mix up some uh, paste, put some hardener to it, okay, and to f- flick it in the hole. Not flick it in the hole, but put it in the hole and waited to it to dry. And then he sent it to get his sander out, and he sanded the, the, the post back to its original form. Isn't that lovely? How long was this coffee? i <laughs> oh, say, okay, two hours, yeah. So, and I said to this person I was having coffee with, I said to Leah, <laughs> uh, you know, there, there, a, there, if you take out the rot, okay, you've got to take it all out. Because if you don't take it all out, what is underneath the surface will fester and it will begin to weep and it will come out and be seen to happen all over again. You can get some liquid, can't you, Reese? And you can stuck it, sh- shove this in, put, paste it in, and it turns that any bits you can't get out, it, um, it makes them go hard, okay? And you deal with the thing, and then you can put your paste in, and then you can sand it and make it better, (laughs) okay? The thing of it is, like I say, if you do not deal with what's inside, as you probably know if you've got homes, okay, you've made a repair, and then three or four years down the line, back to square one again. You've got to do it all over again. It's important that we deal with things that we don't cover over things that need dealing with. And I'm afraid as individuals, okay, all of us, we need to learn to deal with the real issues in our life. And I really believe that if we want to be, uh, to be people who are not captive any longer, if we want to be seeing for people around us not to be captives, then we need okay, to see these things okay, happen in our life that we may see God at work within us. Things not dealt with always rise to the surface. And maybe as I'm speaking, there are things that you are thinking about already. And I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to make any comments. All I'm saying is these are the things that we have to contend with. They will always rise to the surface. They will always infect and affect our lives and the lives of others. There is a great need for the gift of discernment. And discernment, the gift of discernment is often misread and misquoted. This is a discerning of spirits. This is not human, you know... Um, wisdom involved in here. This is about God giving us revelation as to the spirit behind anything. And it's something that we need to see more and more in our life. So this is a discerning of spirits and for faith and authority to cast them out. And I'm not going to get into the point as whether a Christian can be, uh, have a demon or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm just t- saying... That what we need to do is get to the root of things. It's vital if we are to move forward as a church and individuals in power. And the fifth and the last thing. Fasting for revelation. God seeks to impart heavenly wisdom and strategy to us to help us in our walk with him and the advance of his kingdom. Daniel needed answers from heaven. In Daniel 9, you can read, Uh, There, about Darius the Mede and Exerxes uh, the Mede, uh, sorry, the the King Exerxes um, of Babylon. And, And this whole thing. And he says, then to show my sorrow, I went without eating and dressed in sackcloth and sat in ashes. I confessed my sins and earnestly prayed to the Lord my God. In the days we are living, there should be a similar response from us. There should be a humbling of our heart. There should be a fasting for revelation. Lord, show us what we need to do. How do we go about seeing kingdom come in our lands, in our land? God seeks to impart heavenly wisdom and strategy to help us. But we can get sidelined by our emotions and by the needless questions that arise in our hearts when we, what we really need is to understand just one thing, the thing that God will reveal to us. This week, I'm going to do a Clive story now. Okay, Is that okay? Um, I, uh, on, th- on Tuesday morning, woke at half past four, and by half past five, Diane and I were on the road at M1, M6, up to Manchester. Okay, And uh, when um, we got to the turn-off of the motorway towards Manchester... We got onto the M56. Everything stopped. Going up the M6 was fantastic. We saw the sign which said um, toll road free, not free, it's empty, you can go through. So I thought, well, it's, you know, we're, in, we're under pressure a bit, we'll. So we went on a toll road, paid our six pounds, whatever it was. I know, it's terrible. But there was no traffic on it, Clive. It was really, really nice. Driving up there, you know, really, was no traffic at all on either side of the road. It was really beautiful. And, and we got back again on the, on the urgent M6, up towards, Manchester. M56, everything stopped for tea or for traffic. There had been an accident, and it took us an hour to get from the m 56 into the middle of Manchester. So we got into the middle of Manchester, and the good old Saturn nav good old sat took us around the street, so I didn't know where I was going, but I had already Googled, okay, where I was going and I wanted to find out where the car parks were and all that sort of stuff. So, fantastic. Got onto this road, Bridge Street West and then saw the car park, drove into the car park. parking space there, fantastic, wonderful. And then got out of the car, went to the payment thing there to pay, you know, £9 for four hours. And, um, and yes, I know, I know Clive, I know it was... It's and uh, so we stood there, and everybody was getting mad, and blah, 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 blah. I couldn't, we couldn't work out how to put the money in and get the ticket out. People were losing their round, People were just walking off and just giving up. You know, the whole thing about paying for their parking tickets, you know. And but you know. We were fairly... We were fairly sort of... We we should have been there by half past nine. It was now quarter to ten. But we still had grace of another quarter an hour. Uh, But, you know, we got in there and then we went up to the counter, to the uh, reception, and said, well, we want so-and-so and so-and-so. And so -so." so they didn't know what we were talking about. Just didn't know what we were talking about. So uh, what happened was we went upstairs, saw somebody. Uh, You should have read the board downstairs. Big, great big board. So we went I was going... It was a a court, by the way. It was a court. And and so we looked and eventually found out what floor... It wasn't just one court. It was... I don't know how many hundreds of courts. And um, that's an exaggeration. Uh, So we eventually made our way with about five minutes to spare before the court case began. Okay, And I was a, a witness of this court case... And so I was sort of um expecting, okay, to give Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wasn't in the dock. Okay. And uh, I I was I was there giving evidence about something. And um uh, and so, you know, I was I'd been told to read my statements and make sure that I was aware of everything that was going on and that the the other, the other, the bad, the bad barrister, okay. <laughs> he would, he would, he would come and he would try and knock my testimony down and tell me that what I was saying was a load of rubbish and all this sort of stuff. So be, beware, make sure you get there. See? So I, I got in there and, and my name was called, uh, Mr. Mr. Richard Kinnon, come to the seat, please. So I swear by almighty God that what evidence I shall give, will be the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, okay. I said that. And, uh, and then I sat down expecting this barrage of questions. And so I was, my the counsel on my side said to me, Now, uh, can you turn to page so and so? There's a big uh, uh, book there with all the stuff in statements and stuff in. So I turned to page whatever it was. Is that your statement? Yes. And they told me and said, If, it, if anybody asks you a question, just, just answer the question. Do not give any other thing, just answer the question. And so I, I said, is that your statement? Correct. Uh, can you turn to page so-and-so and so-and-so? Is that uh, um, uh, some questions that you responded uh, to? Uh, and uh, yes. Uh, and and is, is that your signature on, on a, and dated to so-and-so? Correct. I thought, okay, I wasn't bad, you know. And then <laughs> the bad barrister came, all right? <laughs> okay, and he said, can you turn to page so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and said, uh, is this the thing that you, you signed? Uh, and, and do you agree with it? Yes. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Kenny. You, you can sit down. <laughs> <laughs> I've been all this way up to Manchester and all the. You, know. <laughs> you see, there was an important factor in this. that Actually, my opinions had some bearing. My testimony had some bearing. But actually, there was a question, just one question that hinged on the whole court case. And so they had decided that they were not going to follow through with questions to me about this and that and whatever, but it's just on this one question, one point of law that was the most important thing on the agenda. My testimony was not the fundamental issue to the case, but establishing a point of law was. And, you know, sometimes we mess around with so much stuff and wonder why we should do this and how we should do that. We have our emotions that fly in and fly out and whatever And sometimes we can pay more attention to those things, but we miss the fundamental question. And that is, in this case, what is God saying? What is God saying? John Wesley wrote, sorry, John Wesley wrote, Do not ascribe to God what is not God. Do not easily support supposed dreams voices impressions visions revelations to be from God without sufficient evidence they may be purely natural they may be diabolical therefore remember the caution of the apostle beloved i believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God or not try all things by the written word and let all bow down before it it's important when we see the challenges that we have as a church, as, it, as does the nation, as does the world, we need to see the important questions and we need to, to, to focus upon them and see what God has to say. So, to f- finish, when we come to fasting, there are three fasts. One's called the absolute fast, no water, no food. By the way, fasting is no food. Or no water. Okay? That's fasting. So there's that one there. There's a normal fast that involves not eating, but still allows drink. And there's plenty of stuff in the scriptures you find that out as well. Then there's a partial fast. This uh, limits our diet and activities in some way. Elijah, for example, lived on a diet of bread and meat boiled to him by ravens and the water from the brook. There are many other aspects. So whatever fast that we choose to do, for however long we choose to do it, the whole point is this, that we are coming to God and we are humbling ourselves and we are asking him questions. Because if you're honest and you stand with me where I am, there are a lot of unanswered questions and I want to know the way to go. I want to know what to do. I want to see things broken. I want to see the church rise. And we can only do that if we are prepared to get in his presence and we are prepared to humble ourselves and to fast and pray. So fasting is not an option. Matthew 6, 16 says, When you fast, Jesus showed us. The early church fasted, so what kind of fast will I do? What are my motives? Are they right? What are my spiritual objectives besides those outlined that uh, the church that Dave's put down? Am I determined above all else to minister to the Lord in this fast? Perhaps you want to keep a diary. Perhaps you want to register down your thoughts about what God is saying to you over this 21 days. So, To finish, fasting for personal sanctity or holiness. Fasting to be heard on high. Fasting to change God's mind. Fasting to free the captives. And fasting for revelation. In my view, this is not an option. This is an essential. And however challenging it might be, I believe that we will seek the rewards, we will see the rewards if we are prepared just to humble ourselves and to be serious about God, what God wants to do through you and me. In elevating, not elevating, but in the, in the rising up of people in this church, okay, in leadership, in the ways that we move forward, in raising up people for children's and youth work, for people rising up and moving out to assist Barbara in the work that she does and all the work that we do in this place, in the school's work. We need God to move in power and authority. And the question is this morning, are you going to be a part of what God has ordained for us at this time in this place? God bless you.